Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 262. Uh, we have Halloween on uh, this weekend, uh, I guess it's on Sunday, um, so yeah, happy Halloween, um, if you don't see or hear from me before then. Um, thanks everybody for watching tonight. Uh, I thought we'd do something a little bit different. Um, I have been so crazy busy with all the different stuff going on that I didn't have time to book a guest for this week. So uh, I did do three presentations for the virtual um, the Aquaponics Association's conference. And um, uh, I thought it might be fun to just do one of the presentations with you guys, go through the same deck, but maybe answer some of your questions while I go through it. Um, with the virtual aquaponic cannabis uh, 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 from the Aquaponics Association Conference, um, which you can uh, get access to if you become a member of the Aquaponics Association. Um, you can check them out over on uh, aquaponicsassociation.org. Um, they do a lot of good stuff. But I thought it'd be fun to cover the flavor compound um, presentation that I did on how to increase flavor in aquaponics. I think it has a lot of uh, usefulness for people in soil as well. And I think you guys will kind of like it. It's something kind of fun, um, you know, maybe like an hour long uh, slide deck and, uh, and we can have some fun together. So if that works for you guys, I think we'll go ahead and do that. So let me set up so I can do both of those things at the same time here. I think this will work just fine. Hopefully you guys are having a good evening tonight. Humidor is not able to join us tonight, and Marty will be here in about 10 minutes. Um, everyone's running a little bit late tonight, I guess. Uh, he's having some issues with the weather out there uh, in Oregon. So, you know, the West Coasters have finally gotten the rain that they've needed. So, super excited on that. Um, before we get started with the presentation, I did want to quickly um, plug the conference coming up. We have the uh, second annual virtual aquaponic cannabis conference. Uh, we have myself at, uh, on November 13th and 14th from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Pacific. Um, we might even do like a little after thing. We have a couple of cool people that we're talking to about maybe doing some cool surprise stuff for you guys. I think you guys will like the, the lineup. Um, we're actually going to announce the speakers uh, and the moderators. So we have um, myself at 9 a.m. On the 13th, we have Sweetwater Aquaponics from South Africa uh, talking to us at 9 a.m. We have Symbiosid uh, from Switzerland, which is going to be super cool to hear from them. Uh, at 10 a.m., we have at 11 a.m. Pacific, we have Aquilitas. Uh, they gave a great presentation uh, on Koi at the Aquaponics Association. Super stoked to, to talk to them again and, and hear from them. We have Dragonfly Earth Medicine at noon. If you guys are not familiar with Dragon, Josh and Kelly, uh, definitely check it out. They're going to be talking about closed loops and all different kinds of wonderful, awesome uh, things about regenerative uh, gardening and how that, um, uh, you know, relates to, uh, you know, the regenerative uh, uh, gardening as a whole, not just aquaponics. We're going to have Thumb Genetics from Michigan. Uh, they're a commercial producer out of Michigan who's doing a lot of awesome uh, growing with a, a can of aquaponic cannabis up there. And we have Matthew Gates, insect specialist. Uh, um, super, super awesome YouTube channel on Xenthanol 
uh, go check him out. He's a wonderful um, evolutionary history presentation that I think uh, people need to check out more. It's super cool. Uh, we have Caleb from Copyleft Cultivars is going to be talking to us about Copyleft and how that can be used to help protect uh, breeders from having their genetics exploited by um, you know, corporate interests. We have Chris Trump uh, going to be talking to us about KNF. Uh, and then we have a cultivation, um, commercial cultivation panel uh, with heavy days of the podcast as our moderator. So that's going to be super, super awesome. Uh, and having him uh, uh, maestro the, the panel is going to be a lot of fun. Then we have Dr. Wilson Leonard from Australia. Um, uh, he's uh, one of the more uh, leading people in aquaponics, commercial aquaponics, especially in Australia. Then we have Dylan McAmond uh, from um, Saskatchewan. So he's going to be talking to us about uh, his craft scale farm up in Saskatchewan. If you guys are familiar with the Facebook group, a lot of the awesome pictures and the banners and stuff are from his farm. He takes great pictures. Uh, we have then we have Wendy Kornberg, who's uh, another uh, KNF expert as well as living soil expert. It's great to hear from her. Then we have Kwan Khan Fem, who I think is going to have one of the more unique uh, talks over the course of uh, the weekend on um, fermentation and some uh, for nutrient inputs. So um, a lot of different interesting things with fermented liquid IMOs and some different KNF methods that I think you guys have not ever been exposed to before. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy what he has to say. Uh, and then we're going to kick off the second day on no November 14th uh, with Breeder Steve, the original aquaponic cannabis grower. Uh, he's the first one to, to put it in writing. And we have Angela Tenenbrock, uh, who is uh, another awesome uh, biosecurity uh, auditor. She works closely with uh, all different types of food agencies, and is great for uh, making sure that we have good, good discussions on biosecurity in our facilities. Um, uh, Victor Labanov from uh, Sweden is going to be talking about genetics and, um, and some other awesome things uh, in uh, aquaponics. He's a, a wonderful researcher out of Sweden. Um, we'll be talking more about him here in the future. Uh, and then we got Joe Pate, who's a, a aquaponics specialist, does all kinds of cool stuff with aquaponics. Uh, he'll be talking to us about kelp and some other awesome things in uh, aquaponics um, on, on a commercial scale. Then we have Tanner Stewart from Canada, another commercial aquaponics producer. Uh, we have Dutch Blooms uh, from uh, Washington State. He is one of the nicest, probably the single nicest uh, hybrid living soil aquaponics farm that's out there uh, anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world for that matter that I've seen that, you know, where it's all blended together in one awesome, amazing, uh, happy ecological system. And we have Kevin McKernan, uh, who will be talking to us about genetics and, and uh, all kinds of wonderful things of the, the plant's root systems and all what's going on as far as microbials down there. Um, and, and a kind of a really cool uh, talk on that. He's been doing a lot of studies on those things. But then we have uh, Rob Nash talking to us about um, uh, growing hemp in Texas. He's been doing three years of aquaponic hemp uh, down in Austin, Texas. He's been talking to us about that, so super stoked on that. Then we have Clackamas Coot talking to us about soil science since we do, do uh, the uh, dual root zones and all that, so that'll be fun. Then we have uh, Dr. Robert Faust, uh, from uh, formerly from BioAg. Um, he's going to be... Uh, talking to us about humic and fulvic acids. Uh, he doesn't give a whole lot of talks per year anymore, so that'll be really cool to, to hear from him. Uh, we have Murray Hollum from Australia. Uh, then we have the homegrown panel. Uh, Scotty Reel is going to be uh, moderating that one uh, from the Do Grow Show. Uh, and then we have Jordan Rivers going to be our moderator for the craft grown panel for the people that are a little bit bigger than homegrown, maybe caretakers 
or small scale commercial. We have a couple of different people uh, of that scale that we've gotten together. So we're gonna be talking to them on a panel. So those will be fun. And then we're gonna round it out with Marty Waddell and, and myself uh, at the end of the night um, to talk about uh, uh, a little bit more on aquaponic cannabis science and then uh, uh, a little surprise there at the end. So I uh, we'll hope to have you guys um, uh, there and um, let me check and see if Marty's joined yet. If not, so uh, we'll get started here in a second. And you can also check us out apmjclass.com. Marty and I have a super awesome extended uh, a course over there. All right, now that all the housekeeping stuff is done, um, let me look through here, chat. All right, I got chat set on live. I think I can see my screen through the other one. Yeah, the the a lot of people don't know the same guy that used to do the songs for Scotty Real is the same guy that used to do them for Howard Stern. Scotty's got some really cool friends down there uh, that he's met over the years. All right. Well, um, I guess Marty will be joining us here momentarily. I'll keep an eye out for him. Let me see if I can screen share this. Um, Why can I not see? All right, can you guys see that? Double check. Okay, make sure it goes live. Is it not showing the screen share? Because I'm not seeing it on the live stream. There it goes. Okay, cool, it's working. All right. Sorry about that. I haven't tried to do this solo before. Or I have, but it's been quite a while. I'm Mar again, Marty will be joining us here in a minute. All right, so um, I did this presentation. They asked me to talk about microbes, uh, flavor, and then uh, I did a presentation on cannabis at the Aquaponics Association this year. Um, so this is kind of just a, a quick glance over of some secondary metabolites and um, uh, different things that play a factor in flavor production. And some of these compounds don't directly play a role in what you taste in your taste buds, but their presence or lack thereof will affect those secondary uh, uh, things that do provide those. So um, keep that in mind when we're talking about some of these compounds and then um, how to increase them. I think you guys are gonna be fairly familiar with, but if not, I think you guys will enjoy this. So um, uh, on the bottom left here is a, uh, a wonderful um, horsetail ferment that Marty did. Um, well, a little bit of labs in there as well to help uh, uh, keep everything going as, as good as possible. Um, so that's what's going on there. We have some awesome super anthocyanin heavy uh, flour here, um, which is uh, again a, a flavonoid, which a lot of people don't realize. Uh, and then we have some more anthocyanin and some red saleless lettuce. Uh, as you can see here, um, you know, what the same compounds that produce the purple in the cannabis produce the purple in the lettuce. So when we talk about a lot of this stuff, you know, it applies to everything in your garden, not just your cannabis, but also your vegetables, right? So um, don't necessarily assume that, you know, just because that uh, it doesn't, um, you know, you're not doing aquaponics, it doesn't mean that it, this presentation isn't going to help you increase the color and flavor of your plants. Ooh, what did I do? All right. So what is flavor? So flavor is the, uh, both the taste and smell of uh, combined uh, of various compounds that come from the plants. Um, there's all different types of things that, that make it up and we're gonna get into that here in a minute. 
um, but they're basically secondary metabolites that the plant produces in order to adapt to its environment. So the plant's responding to its environment you know, for some reason or another, which we'll get into a wide range of different reasons uh, in order to um, uh, protect itself and, and make sure that it survives and, and thrives. Yes, purple is actually a flavonoid. Uh, someone asked in chat. Uh, it's purple. They asked, is purple a flavor? Yes, anthocyanin is a flavonoid. Um, so uh, many flavor compounds can be extracted and uh, isolated uh, for a larger return. Uh, we see this like with things like peppers. You know, you can extract the capsaicin um, or many other medicinal herbs, for instance, Chinese herbs. Um, you can take a lot of the stuff from the cannabis industry and make you know, just as good a money uh, or similar amounts of money uh, per year out of the same size facility using Chinese medicinal herbs because there's an enormous growing uh, middle class in, uh, uh, in the Asian culture that's moving out to the rest of the world. Uh, they don't want to purchase stuff from China uh, or from some of the other countries out there that don't have the best uh, agricultural practices. Um, they do want to have, you know, higher quality stuff from the United States. And there's a great market with a huge void um, it's definitely not being met right now. Uh, so, you know, so if you don't want to go with cannabis, it can be a great you know, uh, way to either have a backup plan for your cannabis facility in case things ever get too cheap on the cannabis, uh, you know, long-term uh, uh, per, per pound, or if you're doing something like um, you know, lettuce and you want to kind of step up your, your profits. So uh, what do plants or why do plants create flavors? So Plants create flavor or uh, compounds in order to protect themselves from different stimuli. So things like linalool and thiamol um, will help protect them against insect attack. Um, other things like different alkaloids, like uh, allosucrine, um, can help against fungal infections. You have flavonoids like anthocyanin, which help both as an antifreeze and a UV protectant, which is the purple compounds in a lot of your cannabis. Um, uh, and then you have other fla uh, flavor compounds that, that do other stuff to protect the plant, all different types of ways. So here's a list of different stuff just for, for beer making uh, that are common, but a lot of these are also in cannabis as well. But it just gives you an idea of what a lot of these different uh, oils and combinations thereof um, can taste and smell like and provide you know, the combinations to make some of these flavors. And that's why you can have similar types of flavors. A great example of this, anyone that's worked at a bar, um, uh, knows if you do like a, a chocolate cake shot and you do hazelnut liqueur with a citrus vodka, that's going to make something that tastes like chocolate, even though the, the terp profile is radically and the flavonoid profile and the actual, you know, what makes up that flavor is completely chemically different than what chocolate is, right? So um, that is, you know, you just because that, you know, flavor is a certain thing doesn't mean there aren't multiple ways to get to that similar uh, flavor as far as the human experience is concerned. So what are the different flavor compounds? Um, you can really get down the rat, uh, uh, you know, a long, uh, a long way into this stuff. You know, there's a ton of different ones, and this isn't even all the different ones that are out there. Um, Mike is a little hot. Oh, uh, let me see if I can turn it down a little bit. I'm sorry. Hold up. Is that a little bit better? I can back up a little bit too if it's still loud. I had it adjusted from across the room last night. So if it's still hot, let me know. Okay. Um, so flavor is a combination of following compounds. You have alkaloids, carbohydrates, cannabinoids, flavonoids, lipids, phenols, and saponins. 
uh, and, and all their, you know, things that make up those different groups. Um, uh, so that that's really the what your your um, you know flavor is coming from. So your chemotype or chemovar uh, is a uh, you know the combination of your different cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, um, uh, ethanol uh, uh, esters, and all those other different things that make up the different. Um, secondary metabolites of a plant. This is the reason why things like pruning the plant and misimulating insect attack helps increase them and, um, you know, increasing biodiversity of the roots and, and everything else. So we'll, we'll talk about some of those different things a little bit farther on, but also making sure that your nutrients are within the right range. Now, this isn't a perfect uh, sample, but it gives you an idea of the type of testing that we're doing uh, two to four times a month um, uh, in any of our facilities. Um, uh, doing aquaponics, and it's very cheap when you're doing it at that scale, but we're getting exact nutrient levels across the board and their bioavailability at any given time, so we can make very minute uh, adjustments organically or inorganically, depending on the facility's um, certifications. Uh, so then you have your uh, alkaloids. So these make up quite a few different compounds, but these alkaloids have at least one nitrogen uh, uh, bound to them. Uh, there's many different uh, ones. A lot of them are controlled substances if you get into the isolation of them. Um, so be careful in what you're doing. I'll leave that up to you. Uh, <laughs> many of them are also toxic if they're isolated. Um, so be mindful of that if you're trying to mix match and have fun with your chemistry. Uh, make sure that you double, triple check your stuff um, before you really uh, start screwing around. Um, can enhance the effects of, of other flavor compounds as well as other second metabolites. So some of these can act as amplifiers or dampeners on some of the other compounds or compound productions in the plant. So sometimes certain alkaloids can be bad if you're uh, after certain desired traits, depending on what crop you're going after. So, you know, you, you try to minimize production of certain ones, depending on, you know, uh, especially when you get an essential oil and perfume uh, extraction and, and the production of those which I've worked with with a couple of different aquaponic producers now, which it's kind of fun. It gives you kind of something else different. It's, I really like working with medicinal herbs occasionally just because you learn some different tricks that are, you know, you can use back in your cannabis plants. So carbohydrates contain at least a carbon and a hydrogen and an oxygen molecule. Um, these play a, lot, a large role in energy storage, but also as flavor. Um, uh, but you don't typically grow a lot of carbohydrate heavy crops in, in aquaponics, um, but the, you know, you can definitely you know, just wanted to throw it on there um, because it is part of that. So flavonoids, flavonoids are things like um, uh, one of the largest compounds in your vegetables to help protect them, especially against insects, um, but as well as UV, uh, frost protection, a whole wide range of different stuff, uh, anti-herbivory um, uh, and a whole lot more. Um, but anthocyanin is a really classic example. Your, your purple uh, that everyone is uh, so desiring, which we'll talk about. Um, uh, in a little bit, but you know, one of the best ways to boost things like, uh, particularly anthocyanin is with a mild molybdenum, to molybdenum toxicity. Um, if you're dosing at like a 0.2 to 0.5 part per million uh, with your molybdenum, not only would your plants utilize nitrogen significantly better in, in flower, um, but they'll also give you a little bit of an overexpression with the anthocyanin, which uh, translates into sales appeal uh, or darker flower, which everyone is after these days. Um, without any type of other negative impacts on the plant growth. And you can get, you know, organic or inorganic forms of that, depending on, again, what it is that you're after. But um, sodium molybdenate is a, a, a form that we use quite often, uh, depending on what it is that we're doing. The lipids, 
Um, so lipids are fatty acid chains uh, that used, you know, often used for skin creams and flavorings and things like that. Um, you often separate it off with ethanol as anyone that's ever done um, uh, winterization of an ethanol extract uh, knows that the fats and lipids uh, flow up to the surface and, and are frozen off. Again, can be separated off for skin products and stuff like that. I know uh, people that have whole 55 gallon drums of, uh, of hemp fat uh, separated off this way. Um, often again, used uh, for things like um, many different oil extracts and methods like hydrocarbons. Sorry about this, the typo there. Um, you have phenolics, which are your different alcohol bounded compounds. Um, often easily destroyed in post-processing. A lot of your phenols and phenolics are your uh, destroyed uh, with by hydrocarbon extraction. So, um, you know, and they definitely play a flavor role. It's why you have, you know, your, the cold pressed rosins and stuff like that. You get a lot more as well as certain other um, uh, specific and, and specialized um, extraction gases that are, are used less often. Um, again, one of the main precursors needed for cannabinoids and, and other complex molecules also used in some of the terpene productions. Um, again, uh, uh, a lot more research is, is being done on the medical applications of a lot of these, but it's, again, they're, they're not available in large quantities because of the fragility of them right now. Then you have saponins, which uh, are super fish toxic. Um, again, play another role in, in flavor, but they're like your, your soap bush or your yucca or some of your other crops that are high in saponin. Um, you can grow saponin heavy crops in aquaponics without any issue. Um, but just don't, you know, kill them and let them rot in the system or you're definitely going to have some fish death. Um, uh, yeah, just avoid them in general. And don't ever use heavy saponin products in aquaponics. Can you do, uh, we had a question from chat. Is there anywhere you can uh, check out this presentation? Um, you can always check out this video. Um, and then can you do anything with the anthocyanins like when making bubble hash and getting purple water? You know, that's not something that I, we've had a, a ton of chances to test. Um, we have done some, you know, I think a lot of people put their bubble hash water back into their, into their gardens or they'll put them uh, onto their next round of live plants. I know I've done that plenty of times, um, but uh, I don't know if there's any direct translation on adding those anthocyanins back through the root system. I, one would imagine that putting it on there would certainly give you them a head start. But again, I, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't know the answer to that. So I'm not going to tell you yes or no. Um, but, you know, it certainly would be a good thing to put back onto your soil garden because you're just putting back on the stuff that came out of it, you know. Um, so terpenoids and terpenes. Uh, again, there's tons of different terpenes. There's over 210 that have been documented in cannabis. Um, but these are also heavily uh, produced for um, a wide range of insect and mold resistance uh, things, as well as UV protection and many others. Um, uh, terpenes can be isolated individually uh, uh, through steam distillation or other fractional, fractional distillation uh, methods um, and uh, can be sold. Just remember that when you fraction off a lot of these terpenes as well, uh, especially if you're in the EU, um, these are highly, highly regulated in the EU as well as parts of Asia. So be careful, um, you know, when you get into a ton of terpene isolation because you know, might accidentally isolate something that's already regulated uh, an isolated form that is not isolated or regulated if you keep it leave it combined as far as transportation and the rest so uh, keep that in mind when you're doing your your planning um, for your different things um someone asked asked in chat uh, what was the aquaponics organization that made this for again oh i made this as part of the presentations for the aquaponics association um, they help work with um, regulators 
and teachers. They do a lot of formation of, of STEM education. They have a whole STEM curriculum and a bunch of other things that they put out regularly for to help support teachers. Um, they're a very good group to support that, that help get helps get a lot of education out. I think a membership is like a hundred bucks a year or something like that. It's not very much, um, but that money goes to a lot of good things. Um, so definitely uh, uh, check them out. Um, and then we had another question chat. When will you talk about parts per million and molybdenum? Are you talking dose with parts per me parts per millimeter or calculating actual parts per million? So I would I'm talking about calculating the parts per million of the the dose that you're applying. So you know uh, if you're you know generally two weeks before flower um, we'll dose with a single dose of molybdenum at like a 0.2 or a 0.5 depending on how long the flowering time is um, but that's one of the things that we do with a lot of our different stuff and this is you know just a fraction of the stuff that we offer in our educational co course that marty and i uh, teach together um, we have a whole we have hundreds of hours of different educational talks that we do on different topics like this as well as film from different um, commercial facilities and all that type of stuff. So um, it's a lot of fun. And if, you know, again, if you're looking for in-depth, you know, super deep education on all this stuff uh, where everything's broken down a lot more even than, than this presentation then definitely check that out. But this was just kind of uh, a general uh, uh, all, all crop uh, presentation I did for the Aquaponics Association. Um, so you have a lot of your primary terpenes in cannabis are myrcene, caryophylline, litolol, pinene, humulene, lemonene, terpinolene, camphene. Um, you know, I think you guys have heard of a lot of those before, geranol. Um, but uh, uh, again, um, these play a huge role in the efficacy of your, your cannabis uh, products as well. Um, we had some wonderful resource, uh, resources give us some linolol uh, this year, and we've had great results combining linolol with uh, very specific THC to CBD ratios, uh, especially when treating children and lower weight uh, patients. Um, we've had a great, great luck uh, reducing seizures, even when they have infections and other things going on. So um, definitely check those out. Um, if you're trying, you're still struggling with the cannabis-based um, medicines uh, after trying CBD and THC, um, consider adding linalol to the combination. You might have better luck. Uh, cannabinoids. Um, so here on the right is a some wonderful uh, pictures of an aquaponic cannabis bud from Marty's house. Um, uh, so this is a, a you know a specific type of, of terp terpene group, um, but cannabis isn't the only crop that does it. You know, coca, black pepper, coneflower, uh, kava, and a whole bunch of other plants also produce um, uh, cannabinoids as well. And then you have your three classifications of cannabinoids: your phytocannabinoids, your plant produced your endocannabinoids, which is your animal or human produced, and then your synthetic cannabinoids, which are your lab produced. Um, and again, these are also heavily regulated depending on you know, what country you live in and what it is that you're isolating. Also, just because something is a cannabinoid does not mean it's safe. There are many cannabinoids that will make you very sick. Um, so don't just assume that something is a cannabinoid if it's a, a not from a cannabis plant, it might not be safe. Um, so just keep that in mind uh, if you're really screwing around with isolations. So common reasons why plants don't have flavor, um, uh, lack of microbial biodiversity in, in, the, in the system, you know, be it cocoa, uh, soil, or aquaponics. If you don't have a good biodiversity, those plants' genes aren't stimulated. Remember, um, those, those genes have to be turned on for those secondary metabolites to be produced. Um, then you have lack of nutrients. If you don't have enough nutrients in your system, or the, especially with micronutrients, um, that can cause an issue. Lack of light, wrong temperature, and wrong light cycle can all cause issues uh, in that realm. I love those nihilist lays. Those are great. 
Um, how to increase uh, how do you increase your flavor in other plants? So um, and if you want to increase it, you really need to stimulate those those genes in the plant. So remember that the plants, uh, if they don't detect microbes in the root system, they will not produce secondary metabolites to protect themselves from those. So if you do not have a plant that um, has any fungi in, in exposed to its roots, it's going to be more susceptible to fungal infection. And where do we see this in the real world? How do, you know, let, how do you know that I'm just not talking bullshit? Well, let's look at the outbreaks of septoria in Oklahoma. Where do we see these septoria outbreaks primarily? In two different types of fields that people are growing at, at acre scale. Uh, people that are sealing the ground in with black plastic and cooking the crap out of it and killing off all of the microbials uh, that are um, in that upper root zone, uh, eliminating any um, uh, competitive exclusion, uh, as well as eliminating any of the fungal uh, uh, hyphae that would be stimulating those plants uh, to produce uh, fungal, uh, fungal protectants, right? Um, and then you have um, uh, fields that are... Um, had corn or soybeans or wheat or whatever else that were sprayed with Monsanto crop or whatever the fuck, uh, or sprayed with who the hell knows what, that um, uh, you just simply um, have a dead field that has no microbiodiversity. That's where you see these huge septoria outbreaks where people just get ripped through, or a lot of the fusarium and things like that are on fields that are just dead that have no microbials in the root zone. It's, it's the primary uh, thing. If you come in and treat that, and treat the root zone, it, it treats the fungal infections nine times out of 10. Um, so, uh, and again, this is how, this is what it translates into in a real world application where, um, you know, it's easy to see that uh, what's going on and why that why that's happening. Um, so, you know, it, it's more than just, um, uh, trying to improve flavor, you know, you're, you're guaranteeing that you have a better, healthier crop by, by doing these things, you know, that's what the flavor compounds are doing. Uh, and again, if you do not activate those genes by having a minimum amount of certain nutrients or by having, you know, some of those microbes present to activate those genes in a non-pathogenic way, you simply will not get those genes to turn on. It doesn't matter if you GMO a perfect crop, if those genes don't, aren't stimulated to turn on or overexpress. It, it's not going to do you any good. Um, and that's one of the things you see a lot of the people screw up on when they have their master plans for taking over the industry and why you haven't seen anybody actually do it yet. Because um, they always leave out the, 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 the planting component. They leave out how it was grown because it's just as important for terpene expression. Uh, and they always seem to just want to wishfully ignore that. And it just doesn't translate in the real world. Um, easy way to do this, again, is through microbiological diversity via living soil or aquaponics, specifically dual root zone, and we'll get into that. Um, and then many other methods work, but again, living soil and aquaponics really, in my opinion, are the two best ways to go, depending on what's more comfortable for you. So how do you increase flavor? There's many different ways to increase flavor. You prune, you can adjust your lighting or light cycle, you can uh, do microbial additives, you can do, change up your planting methods for the crop to be more crop appropriate, or you can dial in your nutrients. And, uh, you know, of course, we cannot have a discussion about flavor without flavor flavor. So um, we had a couple questions in chat um, we'll, before we move on to the next one. It says, uh, my plants have no smell. I might be nose blind though. I can barely smell the rubs nowadays. 
um, especially if you've been exposed to the virus that shall not be named. Um, uh, definitely um, uh, be careful with that, but that definitely took me quite a while to get my smell back. And I think a lot of people are having smell issues um, around that. So just be mindful that that might play a role in, in why you're not smelling your stuff as well. Uh, if you're if you're claiming you might be nose blind, um, that might be the case. Um, and then some people uh, say beneficial bacteria and fungi don't colonize in hydro aeroponic and aquaponics, but only in soil. Are we wasting our money by using these products in hydro? Um, absolutely not. In fact, um, I have a whole separate presentation. I'll have to adjust a little bit for 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 what we're doing for cannabis because um, it was a more of a multi-crop thing, but. Um, uh, there's a ton of different stuff that works great in aquaponics. You can use things like more or um, uh, uh, recharge or many of the aquarium inoculants uh, that are microbial that help power cycle your systems. Mammoth P is great in, in aquaponic systems or any of your phosphorus solubilizing bacteria. So uh, about 75% of your soil microbes will live in aquatics as long as the uh, uh, oxygen is high enough. Um, so that's, that's, you know, kind of a myth. There's a, lot, a bigger issue with fungi, but many fungi actually will colonize uh, aquaponic systems, uh, both in the beds as well as um, in the uh, the root systems. They'll start usually off in the upper portion of the root zone and then colonize down into the aquatic layer. And we've seen this under the microscope quite a few times now. Uh, Dr. Lane even has even talked about it in some of her samplings that she's done on aquaponics as well. Um, so um, there's quite a few different people finding similar results. And then uh, Dr. Efron as well has found quite a few different aquatic loving fungi as well now, I think, um, that are uh, a mycorrhizal. That I know he talked about it a little bit when he was on the show as well. And, and uh, I know uh, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. I was trying to get him onto the conference, but uh, his schedule didn't quite line up. But we're going to get him on sometime early next year on the, back on the podcast again. So that'll be fun uh, to talk to him again about that type of thing. But there's definitely fungi and mycorrhizal fungi and plant beneficial fungi that will live in an aquatic environment. They're just different than the ones that are in soil. That's all. Oh, what did I do? Oh, wrong button. There we go. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so pruning. Uh, pruning mimics insect attack and herbivory attack, which helps the plants produce secondary compounds that help not get eaten. Things like capsaicin, peppers respond really well to that. Um, many of your lower cutting herbs respond pretty well to that as well. Um, uh, root pruning is, uh, is another good way too, if you're growing in NFT systems, uh, root pruning, especially on things like basil, rosemary, thyme, oregano, uh, all of your cooking herbs uh, that are you know cut and come agains um, do really well with a little bit of light root pruning to increase your, your essential oil production. Um, so that's another great way um, that you can help um, increase a lot of that stuff. Um, there's multiple different ways. Uh, also make sure if you're doing that, you have multiple pairs of pruners. I think it's one of the biggest issues that um, we see people do wrong at uh, commercial aquaponics facilities um, is that they don't have multiple pairs. You need to have multiple pairs of pruners and have them soaking in alcohol or uh, peroxide or whatever else you're gonna use for ster sterilizing them uh, and then rotate them. So doing like a red, red, green, blue or whatever it is, put some tape on them so you know which one's which. Um, and then rotate them this way every you know, the plants have a chance to soak uh, for two or three plants at a time um, and uh, you know you're not transferring any viruses or anything from plant to plant plus it helps um, identify like if plants are if uh, sorry if uh, clippers don't get in um, and everybody's using the red scissors and somebody's walking around with blue scissors still from yesterday you can be like oh you know <laughs> this is a 
this is a red day. You should be on red scissors and be able to, you know, kind of tell whether or not everyone is uh, staying up to par. So the the color coded uh, for different days helps um, just kind of have a natural honor system as well. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right. Um, again, th this type of stuff is a uh, uh, great for um, uh, increasing flavor. So uh, next, you have lighting and climate. So uh, you know, having UVA and especially UVB increases resin production not only in cannabis but many different types of crops. Just be mindful if you're after strictly CBD that increasing UVB production will increase THC expression in many different types of genetics. Uh, while reducing, slightly reducing CBD expression. Um, so uh, don't use it if you're doing strictly CBD. Um, and then um, uh, harmful UVC, again, you see people using it in rooms. I wouldn't use it except for cleaning the rooms in between runs. Um, I know other people disagree on that, but I, I certainly don't. Uh, and then I'm a big fan of the, the Spectrum King lights. We use them quite a bit, especially in aquaponics. If someone drops them in a system or something, or the greenhouse blows apart, you know, they're totally watertight. So, um, you know, good for that. And they grow really good weed. Um, actually, I currently have a 403 that we're using for my home grow. Um, and then we have uh, microbes and microbial diversity. So it doesn't matter if you're doing living soil or aquaponics, um, this is gonna be the biggest way to increase flavor. Uh, if you don't have good microbial diversity in your system, uh, or in your roots in particular, you're, you're only going to get maybe 70% to 50% of what that plant's flavor potential could be. Um, we've seen total terpenes go uh, increase anywhere from 35% as, to as high as 300% um, with dual root zone planting versus um, DWC or media bed planting or hydroponics, uh, depending on what it is that we're comparing it to. So um, it really is a huge difference when you're talking about uh, total terpene production. You can see on the right here is an anthocyan and isolate. It's actually lactobacillus colonies. Uh, I think it looks super cool. I don't know. It's one of my favorite things to do macro photography of these days um, is uh, lactobacillus plant ferments because they get so many cool colors and, and patterns. Anyways, uh, secondary topic. Um, but if the plant's not expressing enough of the right types of, exposed to enough of the right types of microbes, early enough on in the plant system, especially early in the plant's life, um, you simply will not get those flavor pr uh, producing compounds in those heavy amounts later on in the plant production. So definitely something to, uh, to consider when you're uh, uh, doing it. All right, so importance of planting method. So um, uh, planting method is, is super important when you're talking about aquaponic plants. Um, you have uh, dual root zones, um, uh, here on the left, and then the media bed only uh, on the right. This is the very first side-by-side -side we ever did with dual root zone planting back when I worked at the aquaponics source with tomatoes. Um, the, they were cuts off the same plant, uh, mom tomato plant from the showroom. Um, they had the same number of leaves. We try to get them uh, close in weight. They were within a gram uh, weight of each other, the clones. So we try to do them as, as uh, uh, comparable as possible. Uh, and then um, we uh, uh, did one in a dual root zone pot and then the other one um, uh, in a media bed. Um, but um, uh, you, so you can see here, the left one had a much bigger root system and the root system had 44% uh, more flower sites and 38% more tomatoes and tomatoes that were ripe two weeks before the media bed only plant. So um, it really accelerates um, uh, flowering times uh, in cannabis as seven to 15%. 
uh, and, and tomatoes, you know, as much as two weeks earlier on the flowering production and fruit production. So it really does give you a, a much bigger um, uh, level of control when you're talking about, you know, catering the, the root systems to plants. And why, why does this make sense uh, for someone not even growing cannabis? Well, if I'm doing berries or something like that, I can do a super acidic soil layer where I can really, you know, cater that to what that plant wants while it's still feeding from the same 80 or 90% base from the aquaponic system. Um, you know, all, all that being the same with just that upper root system being exactly what the plant wants. And we also found significantly with the more lignin heavy the crop is, the more woodier the crop is, the, the more you want to lean towards um, uh, utilizing the dual root stone method and having a deeper soil layer. Soil to increase flavor. So again, soil allows for things like mycorrhizal fungi, allows you to have the terrestrial mycobiome and a bunch of other wonderful things um, uh, uh, that live in, in the soil that you guys have heard and many other awesome speakers uh, talk about, not only on my show, but many other people's shows as well. Um, and then uh, wicking beds are also great. Um, you know, things like um, uh, uh, can also be used with the, the different acidities, but uh, wicking beds are awesome for things like osha root, wasabi, many other water loving crops that have uh, aquatic loving microbe associated with the root system that if you don't maintain um, the plants die. Uh, you know, osha root in particular is super, super finicky on that, uh, as well as uh, wasabi. So especially if you're going the medicinal type of osha. It's one of my favorite plants to, to utilize for medicine. Um, great way to dial in your production as well. Uh, again, especially for fruit trees, uh, they do a lot better on production with some soil. Uh, wicking beds and sub-irrigated planters, great for root crops, require a lot of uh, uh, even external pressure. Um, if you end up with un uneven external pressure, um, then uh, you end up with kind of funky crops that aren't very, don't have much sales appeal. Um, uh, great for root crops that require specific moisture levels in the root zone. Uh, again, you can basically just put different planting depths uh, uh, on your uh, bags. So you can use like root crop, root bags, root pouches in media beds. Um, uh, to do that as well, uh, just to adapt those or set up a specific wicking bed, which a lot of people have designs for. And then can be more costly. Uh, if you don't get the soil mix right, you can end up with the anaerobic zones uh, and bad things. Uh, and then can harbor, harbor pathogens over time if you don't know how to deal with pathogens in those type of systems um, and insects. Um, so you can see here on the left, we grew carrots. Uh, that media bag, that root pouch was just in a media bed. Uh, flood and drain were the bottom portion of it. Um, kiss the bottom uh, just to give it some water uh, and they worked really, really well. So you can adapt that to your media beds uh, or you can see some pre-built ones that are purpose-built uh, on the right. And that can also be good too if you have a larger hydroponic or aquaponic facility, uh, set a couple of these out outside your fence line uh, along with a water line that runs from your system. And whenever you wanna take one or 2% off your system, just top them off and set up a public vegetable garden for people, grab some Baker Creek seeds or something and sprinkle them in there and, uh, uh, you know, grow some veggies for your community too. I'm a big fan of greed for good and having cannabis produce food for everybody else around you. Uh, and it can be a great way just to kind of get rid of the little extra water without having to, you know, have a reason to, uh, to, you know, you don't have to, you know, California and stuff, they'll make you pay for all that stuff for mitigation. Whereas you can grow vegetables for people of it and just give a little bit of a turnover with your water in your system. You don't have to do it, but I think it's a great way to kind of support your local community as well. Um, NFTs. So someone asked what an NFT system is earlier. This is an NFT system, one of these little 
uh, tough tote and pipe systems, or uh, you can see here, this is a commercial scale one. Uh, you, they have these racks that you can slide around. This is lavender uh, growing in these. And these are great uh, for things like lavender because we can take this top plate off. We can do a little root pruning if it gets a little too thick. Uh, and then we can easily pop, pop this off and slide it down if I just need to trim some off or, or dry some out for cooking or whatever else I need to do or for resale or whatever. Um, but these are uh, the downsides to these is if you don't use things like lactobacillus um, and uh, uh, other beneficial microbes, um, you can have issues in the summertime if these get too hot. So be mindful of that. Uh, tree drums. This is something that we kind of developed around for fruit trees working uh, when I was working with Robbie in Colorado. Um, it's something pretty cool. Um, so they're kind of like giant root zone pots, like our big giant um, uh, Dutch buckets, basically, um, that are dual root zone. So we'll, we'll check those out. But great for mycelium, heavy crops, giant bush, fruit bushes, fruit trees, that type of thing. Um, and then they can clog a little bit if, if they have a, a crop with a fruit, super aggressive root system. Um, so keep that in mind. So tree drums, again, you're looking at something like this, although we usually do like a two thirds uh, rather than a 50-50, but we just did that for the diagram so you guys can kind of understand what's going on and where the flood and drain level is. We don't want to flood that soil. We want to top water it uh, separately. Again, gives you access to the terrestrial microbiome up here and the aquatic microbiome down here, which are completely different food webs that stimulate the plant in their own ways. But this is the plumbing that uh, is on there. It's just a flood and drain stand. We cut the bottom of the pop uh, the barrel off, flipped it upside down and seated it on it. So um, it works out really well as a stand. Vertical towers. Um, these can be great for different herbs, lettuces, things like that, but you don't want anything that's going to grow long term. Um, they get too big and just clog. Uh, and then uh, root crops obviously can't grow in them, um, but we'll talk a little bit about this. Um, uh, so this is uh, uh, some of the different designs that we, we played with and tested. Um, this is a, a design that I helped uh, uh, develop where you can remove the crop separately uh, versus, you know, the old busted zip grows. Um, but yeah, you can get, if you adapt the larger diameter uh, square pipes with the knockout cap and a, and a uh, little uh, root pouch, they work great for larger things like tomatoes and stuff like that, you know, but I think you can still get them from their website, but I'm not sure. I know they weren't making them for a little while. And then flood and drain, um, uh, again, is the best way. This is Marty's greenhouse. Um, Marty has loop siphons on these beds, so the, uh, um, he can explain that in a second. Um, uh, but these are great because you can adapt them to wicking beds. You can put dual root zone pots in them. Um, they give you a, a, a super wide range of different um, uh, things uh, for um, uh, doing your, your aquaponics. So you're not stuck with one type of crop. You, you can really adapt a wide range of crops. Um, you have uh, media beds, um, uh, have a huge amount of microbial biodiversity. If you have media beds, you don't need an MBBR because you have about a thousand times more surface area in your media bed than an MBBR has. Um, so they're completely redundant. Um, and then lava rock is also great uh, cheap media. Um, it's often what we use on pretty much everything, unless I have a lot of planting going in and out of the surface, um, then I will go with hydrogen because it's a little easier on the hands, significantly easier on the hands. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Marty, do you want to tell us a little bit about this uh, picture and, and the loop siphons? Yeah, so basically these are um, 
you know, so I do Lava Rock on the bottom, so I can't, <laughs> Steve has the mouse, I don't think I can, I can point, but um, the, I'll do hydrogen on top of the Lava Rock that's in there. And um, so that way, most of the work I do with my hands is all uh, in the hydrogen. Um, and then also so that I know the level at which I want the uh, uh, bottom of the pot to get down to. So if I'm swapping them out, I know I dig down in the hydrogen, hydrogen until I get to the lava rock and I want the pot to sit on top of that. And they hold the weight better too. It doesn't shift around as much as the hydrogen. So it doesn't sink down um, in the same way. Whereas uh, the plant gets heavier over time, they can tend to sink down lower into the bed. So um, I found this to be really effective when I had um, half barrel beds. So if you look at my, uh, my first and second outdoor grow on my YouTube channel on AP Vents, um, you'll see those half barrels with dual root zone pots and lava rock in the bottom and all that. So you can go check that out. But essentially this will be the, the same idea, the U-siphon um, will function essentially the same way as a bell siphon other than um, instead of using uh, a bell in the middle of the bed to, cr to create the siphon, you use a loop um, in a piece of flex hose to be able to uh, start and stop the, the flow. So it fills up till it starts the siphon, it kicks off and drains out. So notice there's no media guard, there's nothing like that. I just have um, an inverted net pot over the top of uh, the drain. Uh, so there's no real need to have uh, a media guard or any of that stuff. You can use the full extent of the media bed. Uh, so I, I really like using that as well. Um, the, so where, where the siphon gets created is in the top of the U is actually outside of the bed. So that's kind of different than the bell siphon. I find that it's actually more reliable than a bell siphon because you don't have as many roots or media um, getting clogged in in the space in which the um, the the air pocket has to get created for the siphon to start and when it has to get pushed out for it to stop as that gets clogged with media or roots or anything it tends to, to slow it down and then you have to dig out the media guard and you have to clean everything up in order to get it to work again. Whereas the um, U-siphon, you can just disconnect the pipe on the outside of the media bed and clean out anything that might be stuck. I've had roots grow down all the way through out the bottom of the drain and all the way up over the top. Uh, <clears throat> it took about a year and a half uh, for that to happen. Oh yeah, there you go. <clears throat> So that's on my first outdoor system there. So actually roots did grow. The, this is the system I was just talking about. Grew down out of the bottom of the pipe, or uh, excuse me, out of the bed, into the drain pipe, up all the way over the top and started growing uh, down. You could see the, the tips of the roots coming out. Uh, there where the water is draining out. So <clears throat> um, this particular setup, I was running all four half barrel beds off of one siphon. So that's another big advantage too, and that you don't have to, uh, you don't have to set up a siphon for each individual bed. Although in my greenhouse right now, that is how I have it set up, just for other design purposes. But you can very easily attach multiple um, beds to the same uh, siphon system. <clears throat> so as long as you can build your beds perfectly flat and, and at the same level, 
and they'll all fill up to the exact same level and drain out together. Um, so that that's what we have setting up here. And so the you can see up at the where the U goes up and over the top. Um, I don't know, it just disappeared for me. Oh yeah. So Sorry, that's just an inverted E track. Oh, it's cool. <laughs> you can um, you can use just about anything to create the shape of the U. So the water fills up until it gets to the very top of that U and it pushes out the air bubble in there. And that's what starts the siphon. And it runs until it basically flushes like a toilet. It'll pull air down through the drain and that will break uh, the siphon and it will stop and the beds will fill up again. So uh, loop siphons, U siphons, there's all kinds of different videos online now. There's videos on my YouTube channel, uh, AP Meds. You can go check that out. I have a number of different ones. Um, <clears throat> my, my favorite one and what I'm using in the greenhouse is, is just flex tubing. So I have one inch drains and one inch flex tubing um, that I literally just bend into the shape of a U or into the shape of a loop. And I set the top of the loop where I want it to go. And that's that. Do you have a uh, uh, screen sharing on? I can probably just pop up a picture of that. Yeah, one second. Maybe I can, sorry about that. There you go. Should be able to know. So you're building the beds, here we go. So you, here you can see it's just a piece of flex tubing. There's really no magic underneath here where we can't see it. It's just attaches to the bottom of the drain, comes up and around and down. So my water level comes up to the top of this. So <clears throat> the, the trick being that when you're, you're using, um, so you can see I also I have a valve here so I can adjust the flow to each bed because I need it fast enough or that it fills up and, and actually pushes this air bubble out because <clears throat> the water will start flowing out of the drain when it reaches this bottom part right here. So you have to have enough flow to get it started and not so much flow that it doesn't prevent it from stopping. So it'll fill up enough to do that. So a valve on your input for each bed is makes it a whole lot easier to adjust for flex siphons, but that's it. This is probably like, um, you know, $3 worth of tubing or something like that. And you can set up a siphon system pretty easily. <clears throat> and they're extremely reliable. As long as your water input stays the same, um, there's really no restriction on anywhere in here. So very large, even big pieces of hydrogen, they get down in the drain, can go through this tube and come out the other side. So even if something works through the media guard, it um, generally doesn't get caught up in there. And so I think uh, I actually, I don't have those pictures on, on here right now, but I did come back later and replace this with just a couple of um, regular pipe clamps. So instead of the screw here to hold it on there, um, this was just shaping it out for testing. And then I put down two pipe clamps, one on this side and one on that side and took the screw out. So we'll go through and do a tour of the greenhouse coming up at the virtual aquaponic conference. Um, we've got a lot more done on that. The system is totally running. All the beds are going. 
Um, and we're about to load it up with some veg plants. It's all wired up, um, our lights and everything. So we're moving right ahead on that. So that will uh, definitely be able to check that out. But as far as the siphon system goes, this is <clears throat> by far the, the easiest um, to, to maintain, the most reliable, um, and, and definitely the cheapest. Uh, like I said, it's only you know a few dollars for the tubing. You can do other things to restrict it more if you have different issues with the flow. Like sometimes I've had a pump that was a little bit undersized. So what I did was I put a T down here at the bottom of the drain. So it just came out to a T that would spray out to both sides. And it just adds a little bit more head pressure to the, to the drain. And it allows it to start on a lower, start and stop on a lower flow of water. So if you have a little bit undersized pump, you can just add a little bit of restriction to the end to help make it work. But that, um, yeah, that, that's my loop siphon spiel. Um, it, people call them loop siphons or U siphons. Uh, I've heard them called both ways. So if you're searching them up on YouTube, those would be the keywords. If, if you have um, Marty and I, uh, if you're wondering where those pictures are from, Marty and I actually also teach a, a class together over at apmjclass.com. We have uh, a huge, huge selection of different topics, tons of different lectures on all different types of things. Um, pictures of examples of all different types of pathogens and things that we've seen doing consulting uh, and all kinds of other wonderful stuff. And we add new content each month and we have live sessions each month. Um, so definitely check it out. We have, you know, reference guides for insects, pathogens, design guides, all different types of awesome stuff on there. So um, if you're looking for a, a full, for, full form class, definitely check it out over at uh, apmjclass.com or ap420.com. And uh, actually, uh, well, anyways, I'll wait, but we got I got a really good URL view to do. We'll, we'll talk about later. Um, so we'll jump back to the presentation here. Um, oh, the, the pictures that Marty actually was posting are from the build out that he did with a, a greenhouse build out that is part of the course coverage. So definitely check that out. You can currently use uh, coupon code APMJ uh, to save 50 bucks off the class right now as well, if you want to. All right. So root setup is key. Uh, again, dual root zone really is the best way. You have your terrestrial microbes up top your aquatic microbes below and the roots grow through the middle. Uh, this gives you access to all the benefits of both types of microbiomes um, and uh, you know, filter that water for those fish as well. And you can do time release soil mixes. Uh, you can dose any of your soil inoculants, do all your KNF stuff. Um, just be careful with wetting agents uh, and, and saponins. In the lower portion, this floods and drains uh, and goes up and down like a diaphragm. And when it goes down, it drafts fresh air through the roots, uh, through the soil and the aquatic layer. And then when it goes up, it flushes that air that was down there back up through those roots. So you're getting this super high gas exchange through the pots like a diaphragm or lung action. And this causes a really uh, big increase in, uh, in growth rate. And you can see here some examples of some dual root zone facilities. Uh, this is uh, uh, um, ZBD hemp in Colorado, and then this is uh, Marty's Grow, actually. This is part of one of the side-by-sides that we did. 
or, or that he did uh, up there with um, you know, supplemented versus unsupplemented aquaponic setups. Yeah. <clears throat> we have all different types of cool side-by-sides as part of our course as well. So if you're curious about why we do something, um, a lot of it, we actually do have some you know, photo examples of different things set up different ways. Uh, so uh, dual roots and media beds really are the best uh, and give you the most control, um, especially if you're doing outdoor plants as well in aquaponics, it gives them a kind of an anchor, you know, so that they don't tip over and the heavy winds and things like that. You still scrog them, but uh, it still gives you a little bit of a backup. Yeah, any unpainted, untreated lava rock is fine. Just give it a good rinse, especially if you can get a bit of an, an acidic rinse uh, and you're good to go. Lava rock, we found very few issues with as far as um, heavy metals or anything else. And it's the cheapest. You can get a super sack of it anywhere from $300 to $500, depending on where you are in the country. So it's much cheaper uh, than buying media, um, which often you're looking at, you know, one to $2,000 for the same amount of media uh, for a pallet's worth, especially right now with everything being so screwed up with shipping. Um, it really is cheaper to get uh, lava rock right now than it is to get any clay leca uh, at all. Here in Oregon, I can get, I can fill up my truckload at the local landscaping spot for like, uh, I want to say 50 bucks, I think it was. So you just roll up with a tarp and they fill up your whole bed. So it's, and I have, I have a small bed, so, but that, that's pretty much the deal is a, is a pickup truck load. So if you compare that to like, if you went and bought lava rock from like Lowe's or something, you would spend like $600 versus 50 bucks at your local landscaping place. So definitely uh, even getting it delivered is probably cheaper than buying it by the bag. So FYI. And this is a uh, Bain Howard. He's the, the head grower over at Vertica Aquaponics, currently the largest aquaponics cannabis facility. Uh, in Oklahoma, he'll be part of the commercial aquaponics uh, panel uh, at the second annual virtual aquaponic cannabis conference, which you can find uh, behind me on the screen. All right. Um, again, more commercial aquaponic dual root zone cannabis. So you can see huge, huge colas, you know, that compares with, easily compares with any hydroponic or soil grown. Again, another picture from Vertica Aquaponics up in uh, in uh, eastern Oklahoma. I'm about due west of there. Um, yeah, looking good. And this is roller tables, very similar to um, your, you know, again, drain to waste uh, uh, hydroponics. It's very similar equipment, um, just plumbed in with the aquaponics, but allows them to move the tables apart, uh, shift everything around so they can get in and do their IPM. Uh, and all the rest will uh, automating as much of the watering as possible. Uh, will one snow if we reuse our hydrogen and lava rock? And yeah, I, I basically yep. it disintegrates. <laughs> even even hydrogen and lava rock will, will kind of slowly, you know, grind away, get smaller and broken into smaller chunks. But for the most part, yeah, once you uh, once it goes in, it doesn't come out unless there's a big problem with it, especially now that I use so much labs in different areas and keep my media beds a lot cleaner. Um, I, yeah, I'm, they very rarely come out. They usually spend you know, at least a year to a year and a half in media bed before I would take them out for some purpose. And even then I just generally rinse them and clean out uh, dead root material or 
whatever the issue is, rinse it out, clean it up, treat it with labs, put it back in. Yep, and you can do DWC doored zones as well. You know, you can cut the bottoms out of your pots, you know, or at least a portion of it. Um, I would suggest doing maybe more of a plus pattern on the bottom to give it more support than this exact version on here, because we cut, did a couple of different designs and it was a little bit better. I, I need to make a more updated video on that. I apologize, but um, it's a great way for adapting existing lettuce facilities. You can see here we we're doing mom production and clone production. We were able to get over 14,000 clones a week out of this facility. Um, that used to grow lettuce and at five bucks a plant per clone at 50 to 200 clones per mom. Um, it makes a bit more money than the lettuce does. Uh, <laughs> um, so and you, again, another example of the nice density you can get with those, uh, those plants. That's before they got waxed. This is a nice picture of um, some nice autos up at uh, Vertica as well. You can see just stacks on stacks. You know, you can do it in DWC. The downside with DWC is that it grows a little bit slower um, and you have slightly more uh, chance of root issues, but it, it works just as well. Um, and then, uh, so you, uh, you have your soil layer as you trust your microbes, your, your mycorrhizae, your nematodes, your protozoa, um, your top water nutrients, your ferments, um, all that type of stuff you can put up there. Uh, and again, have your beneficials. So you can also do things like nematodes and um, some of your beneficial sprays like uh, Isofema fumosoria, Riveria bassiana, and that upper root zone to help uh, give the plant an area to protect itself and its root system from certain pathogens that do attack the insects or like, like insects that attack the root zone that might give that a place for that, those microbes to harbor. But very bassiana can act, actually live in your soil for quite a while under the right conditions. So that can provide that way to kind of insulate your plants a little bit better from a pathogen standpoint. Um, again, so your five controls of dual root zone aquaponics, you have dosing the water, you can dose the soil, you can make custom soil mixes for time release. Um, you can allow for foliar spraying, uh, which I recommend against, except for pest management at this point, uh, and then allow for uh, different types of fish foods. So the higher your nitrogen, uh, uh, the higher the protein in your fish food, the higher the nitrogen output from the fish will be. So dual root zone dosing. So uh, in my dual root zone pot, uh, if I have the upper portion is soil, lower portion is lava rock in our pot here in this example, we're gonna measure out and we're gonna pour in a measured amount of water um, and, and pour in uh, into the top. So we'll say 16 ounces of water uh, into the top root zone, pour it in slowly until it starts to drip out the bottom. So we know that our, um, uh, our upper portion of our root zone has um, uh, a saturation capacity of 16 ounces. So we wanna cut that in half to eight ounces in order to properly um, uh, not overdose that, that upper root zone after that first initial watering. So uh, that allows us to maintain proper moisture across the bottom. And we use these manifolds with your top feeding and auto purging um, by having the water flood from the bottom and then auto uh, basically overflow uh, through all of these simultaneously as long as they're level. Uh, it works extremely well for reducing total water volume dosage per system, even in hydro or, or other systems, or even in soil, um, along with giving us a tight control 
for exact amounts of water dosing uh, across many hundreds or thousands of plants. And we've done this at quite a few different facilities now, but um, showing you guys on the diagram is a little bit easier to, you know, demonstrate with all that in one, one picture than uh, uh, trying to explain it with a bunch of plants on the way. So I don't have an empty room picture of these. I, need, I keep forgetting to take one. But it also works great for um, manifold for vertical towers as well. Yeah, there'll be more stuff on labs. Don't worry, there's somebody asking about labs in chat. Uh, okay, so how does aquaponics increase flavor? So dual root zone um, pots and the upper portion of the root zone system, um, having soil up there really helps, again, activate those microbials in the system uh, that activate those secondary metabolite production in the plant. Uh, increased gas exchange. Again, we talked about the diaphragm action. And uh, again, just basically the fact that you're do having access to both terrestrial micro uh, aquatic microbiomes really is the biggest uh, thing that triggers it. Um, again, more on the kind of the same topic we just talked about. Um, anyone that's grown living soil versus uh, hydroponics is, knows the difference. All right, so microbial inoculation. So we're gonna talk about a couple of different ones today. Um, we have lactobacillus, uh, and then we have um, microbial inoculants. Um, so we have IMO1, IMO2, liquid IMO, uh, aquatic indigenous microorganisms, IPMO, uh, and um, which is indigenous predatory microorganisms uh, and off the shelf. We're not gonna talk about the predatory microorganisms in this particular presentation, maybe in, in a different one. Um, but this is the, the you know, simple uh, IMO collection with rice that everyone is familiar with. If you aren't, uh, check out Chris Trump. He has wonderful uh, education on, on KNF, both free on his YouTube channel and, and a wonderful course uh, at uh, chrisTrump.com. You can check out uh, I had the, he gave me a, a chance to check out uh, his class a little bit before everybody else. And uh, I will say it's a, a very great course, um, definitely worth it. Um, and uh, a ton of awesome content uh, uh, that he's gonna be keeping it add to, similar to what we're doing with our class with uh, con constantly adding content. All right, so um, we also have our, uh, once you have your IMO1 collected from your forest, so basically you're gonna cook your rice about 80% of the way uh, in your system. I'm uh, not a little, little, little let me restart. Sorry, it's been a long day of physical activity. You're going to take your rice, you're going to cook it 80% of the way, uh, and then you're going to shut off your cooker. Then you're going to strain it off and then put it into a wooden box like this. Put your screen on top with some paper on it to keep anything else out. Uh, and then you're going to sit this in a really wonderful uh, place on your yard where you don't have any activity. So if there's an old corner with some plant growth, uh, lots of leaf litter, that type of stuff. This is where you want to put this to collect saprophytic fungi and other wonderful microbes from the soil locally. Then you're going to, after five days or so, you'll get a nice collection that looks very similar to this. Whoop, too many buttons. Similar to this here or this here. Uh, then we're going to take that and cut it 50% with sugar. So weighing out equal parts sugar, equal parts IMO to get our IMO2 once we blend it all together. And this can go directly into your MBBR, into your mineralization tanks. This is a stabilized version of those microbes that you can now store for up to two years uh, and you utilize as kind of as needed as your own local microbial inoculation um, collection technique and stabilization for long-term storage. And it really helps increase some of the gaps that are in aquaponic mineralization that are often found in people's systems. Uh, you can then mix that with a little uh, humic acid, a little sugar, a little bit of labs, 
uh, and brew it all up with some of your fish waste and uh, uh, or without some fish waste, uh, if, depending on if it's going in the system or not. Um, and then uh, uh, if it's got going directly in the system, you can add fish waste and apply it and get wonderful, great, healthy looking roots. Um, this was 18 hours after we transplanted that plant in there and it already was bursting through the bottom of the pot. So um, yeah, it's good stuff. We use it a lot in aquaponics. Um, don't use the fish waste in it if you're applying it as a foliar. And what you can do, especially if you're trying to get rid of fungals. Um, improper nutrient levels. So if your uh, nutrient levels are super far off, um, it can cause all kinds of problems. So let's talk about this in a real world example. So let's say I put a UV sterilizer on my system. Well, the UV sterilizer is going to knock out the chelation on the manganese. It's going to knock out the chelation on the iron. And both of these, um, the manganese affects iron availability. Iron affects phosphorus availability. So if I knock those two out, it makes my plants phosphorus deficient and they will show purple. Now, the bioavailability of the phosphorus in the system is completely fine. The plants can't uptake them because they need to have those other nutrients to uptake them. Um, and this is a, a great example of why you can't just instantly assume that the problem that is wrong with your nutrients is exactly what it is um, that you're observing in the leaf tissue because sometimes it's a micronutrient or secondary nutrient that's actually causing that um, nutrient lockout. And it's something I think people often don't talk about enough when they're talking about diagnosing nutrients. Is there a high risk of getting pathogen microbes utilizing IMO? No, we've never had any issues with that. Um, I wouldn't, I would avoid doing stuff that's super, super wet, making sure you strain your rice properly before you put it in that box really is the biggest, the only thing that you really have to worry about. Uh, and then also making sure that it comes out nice and white. Um, you don't want to, a little bit of color is okay, but too much green, too much black, um, too much of any vibrant color. Uh, you definitely want to, you know, throw it away and start again uh, and just take a fresh collection. And, you know, it's perfectly okay. Like even if you're super experienced, you're still going to get like a, a 30 to a 10 to 30% failure rate with your collections. Right. So it's no big deal. Um, you know, make the idea is to make four or five of them at a time and do lots of different um, uh, collections simultaneously and then uh, combine them um, is really the, the best way to do it. And, you know, you're, you just assume that one or two of them are going to come out bad uh, when you set out, you know, six or more. A little bit of yellow is okay. A little bit of pink is okay. A little bit of orange is okay. Just not too much. You just don't want something that's like over dominating the, the batch, really. You just want something that's kind of you know, in, in somewhat of a balance, I guess is a, the easiest, simplest way to explain it. Um, and then if your plant is lacking uh, nutrients, it's not producing enough oxys, oxins, hormones, enzymes, and other secondary metabolites. Um, again, regular testing and dosing of nutrients every two to four weeks in, in commercial systems is highly recommended. Um, so uh, chloride and silica are two of the other things that uh, play a huge role in, in flavor, uh, especially not having the proper flavor profiles. We did a bunch of tissue sampling with a bunch of different crops when I was at the aquaponics source and the two nutrients that we found that was had the biggest nutrient difference in total parts per million um, between the soil and the aquaponics was chloride and silica. And as soon as we started dosing those, we noticed a significant improvement in flavor in certain crops, especially tomatoes. Uh, the, this main study that we were doing was around tomato flavorings, but you know, has implications for many others. So making sure you have um, uh, you know, a little bit of chloride in your system and that 70 to, to 120 parts per million is really where you wanna be in order to get that full flavor um, pro profile production out of your crops. And there's lots of different ways that you can add them. 
to the system, but um, um, it really can be an issue. It's why I generally don't, unless you have chloramine, um, especially in an existing system, um, you don't have to worry all that much about chlorine neutralization because um, unless you're using huge, huge amounts, you're adding what, 1% of the total volume, if that, 2% of the total volume. So it's not enough to really screw anything up and you know, just basically just keeps you right at that, that properly dosed level. Silica helps a lot with uh, re disease resistance, pest resistance, uh, increases trichome density, um, all kinds of awesome stuff. We typically use potassium silicate uh, to raise pH, uh, or we'll also use silicon dioxide if it's more of an organic certified system, uh, depending on what it is that we're doing. Um, but potassium silicate in place of your typical potassium ad ad addition for pH up. So instead of potassium hydroxide or, or uh, potassium uh, carbonate using potassium silicate and calcium carbonate is the currently recommended best pH regimen for aquaponics. It doesn't matter if it's lettuce or cannabis. Um, it will make better crops for lettuce. It'll increase shelf stability of your harvested lettuce in your fridge by up to seven days. It'll increase disease and mold resistance in your crops and, uh, and increase uh, just general cell thickness on the plants. So they're just more resistant and a little bit tougher towards insects and molds in general. And, and less fragile, like for especially your taller plants. Micronutrients play a huge role. Um, if your micronutrients are screwed up, um, you're definitely going to have issues. We talked about man, you know, manganese is well known for being uh, an inhibitor uh, of THC if it's not in the high enough levels. Um, if you're man, you know, if you could have everything go perfectly and still not hit those super high THC levels if your manganese is too low. Um, molybdenum is another one. If you're trying to get that purple weed, um, you definitely need to get those molybdenum levels up. Uh, and then copper, zinc, sodium, and aluminum also um, can be commonly deficient. I've seen quite a few systems with just zero aluminum, which is not good uh, as far as uh, plants' uh, immune systems and everything else. They do need a tiny amount of aluminum to be at least a detectable amount of aluminum uh, in order to do well. Um, so, and we talk about all these different nutrients and how to dose them uh, organically and inorganically in, in our class. Um, so if you're looking for really in-depth info on this stuff, um, definitely check it out there. Uh, and then impro improper microbials, you know, not adding microbes, not uh, seeding the system with uh, cycling microbes in the beginning, um, improper microbial collection, you know, adding things like way too much trichoderma um, uh, or, um, you know, collecting from diseased areas or bad areas that, that were contaminated with something that's bad. Again, it doesn't happen often, but it can potentially happen. Um, if you aren't paying attention to your, and again, that's why it's so important to see that nice white layer on your IMO. Um, that no, that's when you know you have those heavy saprophytic fungi that are kind of you know showing you that everything is good. Um, and then using things like um, IMO uh, and liquid uh, uh, IMO or Jadon microbial solutions, um, you know, uh, really late into flower. Um, you don't want to use them the last three or four weeks of flower because it can cause you to, to fail total CFU testing. Uh, if you're doing those types of microbial tests in your state or your, your area, but adding them to your aquaponic system, as far as either your mineralization tanks or your sump tanks really helps increase biodiversity. Someone asked about orthosalicylic acid. You can use that as well. Um, it's not one of the only ones that roots can uptake. The issue is, is that other forms often can take longer to be available, um, but there's many different microbial chains. There's a different products that are either currently on the market or about to be on the market that, that regularly uh, make silica more available. So I, um, I think, I know Mammoth P was, I got some samples of one from them a little while back. 
Um, and I know a couple of other companies have been working down that that same pathway. So um, it'll be interesting to see uh, uh, that stuff in the future. So common aquaponic microbial myths. Um, fish poop has everything that plants crave. It's got electrolytes. Um, uh, you got this kelp azomite rock dust that's going to fix everything. Uh, I'm a big fan of idiocracy, so uh, we try to have some fun with our presentations. Um, and then uh, uh, adding microbials uh, causes nutrient imbalances or microbial collapse. That's a bunch of hokey pokey bullshit, but people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Um, it doesn't actually happen in the real world unless they're trying to sell you something. Um, if it were, countless organic farmers would run into that problem. Um, adding uh, microbes can kill your fish. Um, we've never had that issue with microbials. Um, certainly have with wetting agents and saponins and pesticides, um, but not once have we ever had a microbial additive ever kill our fish. And we tested a lot of different ones back at the aquaponics source, as well as uh, all the different people I've worked with since then on different products that they've tried to inoculate their systems with. Um, indigenous microorganisms can um, introduce pathogens again, um, not if you're dosing things like lactobacillus uh, and kind of giving yourself that extra barrier, but also um, if you have a good healthy IMO collection, you're not going to be introducing pathogens, which it doesn't happen. It's not, not been documented. Um, lactobacillus comes from the stomach lining of cows. It got on the stomach lining of cows because it lives in the soil and on the grass. That's how it got there. Um, that's just a myth. I mean, yes, it does live in stomach cows, stomachs of cows, but it, that's not where we're getting our plant one form. Um, microbes can replicate out of control. Um, trichoderma can, but not most of the others, you know, will reach a, a level of balance. And you don't need to add microbes to ensure a fully optimized system. You absolutely need to add some microbial diversity to have a fully uh, optimized system, especially when it comes to mineralization. All right, so environmental concerns, temperature, humidity, UV exposure, altitude, uh, global temperature, nearby farms and overspray can all play huge roles uh, in your aquaponic um, system in terms of flavor and what those plants are going to express. If you dry, have a dry down period on certain crops, they can really improve flavor. Uh, cannabis being you know, often one of them, uh, uh, if that cultivar is adapted for that, but many other crops as well. Um, different altitudes and, and uh, latitudes will have different angles of the sun and UV exposure and that can have a huge impact on that and then ground temperature and water temperature can have a huge impact as well um, and then ferments for the future this is something that Quan Khan Fem talked about quite a bit when he was on the show but it's something I think is really the the future of aquaponics and, and hydroponics and uh, organic hydroponics and, and living soil is utilizing different plant ferments and inputs and you know uh, teas and extracts in order to produce those pr nutrient profiles uh, in a similar way that we're used to having our baby bottles with their um, uh, nutrient PPMs and, and all the rest and that tight control, but with these plant inputs and moving towards these, these types of things. And the other thing that, that reason why this is important is, look, I can go to back to Zimbabwe or South Africa, go out in the middle of the bush and start fermenting stuff and make all the nutrients that we need. So we don't have to import it. We can really give the, the power back to the farmers and get them off of that, you know, um, um, uh, uh, inputs that they have to go buy from the Syngentas and the Monsantos of the world. You know, this is our way to fight back. Uh, FPJs, fermented plant juices, is something we're talking about uh, just now is, you know, either FPJs in the traditional form or liquid IMO ferments uh, over long periods of time. We're finding, uh, especially Quan Khan Fem talks about quite a bit uh, over three months 
of fermentation um, having significant increases in parts per million. Um, uh, so things like the Jadam mineral solution and stuff like that uh, being also really good. So um, definitely something else to, uh, to think about uh, um, when you're, you're doing your different types of stuff and definitely check out things like um, Dr. Duke's uh, um, phytochemical ethnobotanical database. Um, you know, a ton of different uh, plants on there, thousands of plants that you can check out um, and utilize uh, and sort by inputs and minerals and all the rest. Um, so when you're looking for what to ferment for different inputs and what to use for co your compost, even, even if you don't want to get into the KNF stuff, um, you know, or natural farming techniques, just even just for your compost, it gives you a way to help start to balance that stuff out. And then we're working on an open uh, platform, uh, open source platform right now called Open Nutrient Project with some other people uh, in the industry. Um, email us at opennutrientproject.gmail.com, but we have a aggregated database that I've uh, mostly compiled, uh, mostly I've compiled, but some other people now are starting to contribute um, with um, all these different plants and inputs from tons of as many sources as we can find that are open source as well. Um, and then putting them all into one place in a way that's easy to understand and easily organized along with, hey, I did this KNF preparation or this Jadam preparation or this compost tea or this whatever. You don't necessarily have to give away your secret sauce, but hey, this is like the, the what I did as far as you know what the input was. Uh, I did it for this amount of time with this plant input and it produced this much parts per million or this X, Y, and Z, depending on what metric that you're, you're looking at. So uh, there's there's quite a bit already there. Um, we'll be adding quite a bit more and then we'll be regularly releasing this in a formal report uh, every month or two, um, uh, oh, probably quarterly in the beginning and then a little bit more on uh, as we grow um, so that people can understand it and it's not so clunky and, and you know, spread all over the place um, the way it is uh, uh, in the data sets. So um, I think you guys will like it a lot. I think it'll be a really cool way for us to have something that we can use for living soil, aquaponics, and, and everything else um, alike, not just uh, any one of those. Because at the end of the day, aquaponics really is living aquatic soil, uh, whereas uh, a lot of people grow on living terrestrial soil. But uh, if you look at it from a chemistry standpoint, biodiversity standpoint, it very much represents uh, soil uh, much more than it does uh, hydroponics. Um, so uh, organically isolated plant proteins are another one. So this is your phycocyanin isolate. We call it blue labs. Um, so it's just traditional labs, except uh, take that and do a four gallon batch. Um, so typically we do four gallons of milk with one to two pounds of spirulina uh, and then a, um, uh, a one quarter ratio, uh, a 20 to 25% ratio on kelp extract. So if I did four gallons of milk, uh, one pound of spirulina to a quarter pound of kelp extract. Um, uh, and then uh, mix that all up, stir it in, add a little kefir to speed it up a little bit, and then let it sit for 10 to 14 days. And you'll get that wonderful blue phycocyanin uh, isolate that does wonderful things to the plants. It really helps them heal quickly. Um, it'll help uh, repair even plants that are on the verge of death often, not in every case, but in many cases. Uh, and um, the, the curds are great fish feed uh, or good for your dog, good for your garden, put them on your old trees or your old fruit trees, things like that. Trees that aren't doing well in your neighborhood, just put it there. It'll help uh, water into the soil. And uh, 
uh, has all the benefits of lactobacillus in terms of other things that it does. It helps keep the system clean, reduce pathogens, and all the rest of the benefits that labs has. Um, you have copyleft cultivars, which have recently uh, been invited to join the board on that. So that'll be as an advisor. Um, so definitely check that out. They're a wonderful group of people that are trying to allow for more of an open source patent process for breeders that want to allow for protection of their varietals against corporate interests. So it's not so much like trying to patent it to like be able to like take that and do fundraising on it as it is saying, hey, I don't want Monsanto growing my weed strain and I have legal protections to stop them from doing it. Or, hey, this guy used to work for me and stole my shit, um, you know, get the fuck out of here. Um, but basically this is a way to help protect um, geneticists, researchers and cultivators um, in a similar vein to other projects that have been out there, but with a, a much higher degree of ethics, in my opinion, uh, than some of the other ones that were started off. Maybe not necessarily with the people that are involved, but by the people that founded some of the other projects didn't always have the in, com, uh, community's interests in mind. And I truly think that this one does. Um, Caleb will be speaking from the copy of the cultivars at the virtual aquaponic cannabis conference uh, coming up um, on the first day of the conference. So, uh, and then if you're doing vegetables and you're looking for an open source way to register your stuff that way, um, check out the open source seed initiative. They all currently have quite a few different cultivars uh, registered there. And again, a great way to protect things like corn, you know, uh, heirloom corn varietals and other things from the Monsantos of the world. Check out the second annual virtual aquaponic cannabis conference. We talked about that. We have speakers from Australia, Canada, Colombia, Switzerland, Sweden, South Africa, US and Vietnam, uh, uh, all talking on aquaponic cannabis methods or uh, science that relates to uh, aquaponics, but it also is geared toward living soil as well. So just because it's aquaponic conference doesn't mean that you're not gonna learn a lot uh, about living soil practices as well. So definitely uh, don't think it's only for aquaponic people. Uh, you can check out the Growing With Fishes podcast on your favorite podcast app. You're currently listening to it if you're watching it live. So I think you know how to find it. Um, you can check out uh, apmjclass.com. Um, use code APMJ for uh, 50 bucks off the class right now. Um, but a uh, ton of info there. Uh, and then, um, yeah, there's our contact info. We also have the, the new company and all the rest. Um, but uh, we generally don't talk about uh, that too much on, on here. Uh, and then um, uh, the Aquaponic uh, Cannabis Growers Facebook group, you can check out as well. And then uh, I thought I had some lab slides. Hold on, someone asked me about that. I'll throw the lab, the lab slide or two up to find the right presentation. Hold on. Actually, you know what? Maybe I'll just do a separate video on labs and post that up this week. But basically, I'll throw this up for now real quick, but I think we'll do that rather than showing the whole thing. I kind of have some KNF stuff in the works that I think will be better that way. But um, here's your, your quick and dirty on it. Um, 
again, increases plant growth 12 to 20 percent, fish growth up to 18 percent, um, um, and consumes pathogens like E. coli, pythium, salmonella, and others. Uh, Kentucky State did a, a bunch of different awesome uh, testing on that. Um, lacto, uh, labs uh, uh, can take three to five days to ferment on average. And it's also a good pH down. If you want an organic pH down, it will lower the pH of your solution. Um, you can get it from your probiotics at your local pharmacy, EM1. Um, you can do labs in a milk jug. You can do labs uh, in a bucket. Um, I like to add kefir, yogurt, or some, you know, some mixture of these as well, aside from your local rice collection, because I find it makes a stronger uh, type of key, uh, lactobacillus. You get a wider range of vitamin B as well. Don't forget lactobacillus produces vitamin B as a byproduct. Um, and then you have your different treatments, again, great for treating fungal pathogens. And this is just, a, again, a portion of the content that we have in our class. We have a, a huge, huge selection of stuff um, as part of our course um, that we teach. This was, again, part of the, the microbial uh, presentation I did for a different group. But um, uh, we have a huge in-depth hands-on stuff for all these different inputs, as well as guides on all the different uh, things as far as dosing. But in general, for labs, we're dosing aquaponic systems with 1 to 1,000 for maintenance and 1 to 800 for treating pathogens, sometimes 1 to 1,200 if it's a clean system. You want to um, touch on your super labs for a minute? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Um, I can, hold on. We also have super labs. Um, again, it's labs, same as we, like we talked about, but adding kefir and uh, spirulina and kelp. You get this neon blue color, looks awesome. But you'll get that, you can't mistake that color. You know, it's just, it's too unique and unusual for the natural world, but that's your isolated phycocyanin. Again, great for your garden. Great as a growth accelerator. That's organic. You can drink it. It's good for your joints. It's good for the uh, cartilage in your joints. So, you know, good for you, good for your plants. Good all around. And like we talked about earlier, uh, four gallons of milk, a quarter gallon of rice wash, uh, one to two pounds of spirulina, depending on the concentration you want, and then uh, a quarter pound to a half a pound of kelp extract, depending on, you know, if you're going with that one or two pounds of, of spirulina. And then inoculate it with some lactobacillus uh, from kefir or whatever your other sources, a previous batch of labs, and wait 10 to 14 days. It's good shit. So somebody was asking me about adding labs to just a fish tank, even if it's not attached to. Yeah, absolutely. The labs is great for your home aquarium. It'll help uh, reduce algae, uh, especially a little bit of super labs. The algae, uh, the, the uh, spirulina has a compound in it that reduces algae uh, in the system where that doesn't harm the plants at all if you're living in a planted aquarium. Um, but labs also is great for just eating up the waste that's in the, in the gravel, as well as um, uh, just cleaning the water, like you'll have clearer water with less particulate in it um, with the lactobacillus dosing. It's great. You can feed the kefir grains to your, your shrimp if you raise um, cardinia or neocardinia shrimps, the cherry shrimp, crystal shrimps, any of those guys, Sw uh, you know, swazi shrimps, any of those little guys, great for, um, uh, for that. 
Yes, kelp, uh, kelp extract, I mean like dried kelp. I don't mean liquid kelp extract. I'm sorry, I misspoke there. Oh yeah, I feed my fish Bokashi brand. I mean, all my fish are attached to aquaponic systems, but um, you, you can definitely add it to, like I said, if, if it's got a biofilter, it's just gonna make it work better, clean it out. Um, it, excellent water clarifier, like Steve was talking about. So, you know, if you've got company coming over and you wanna clean, you know, don't have time to clean the fish tank, but you wanna make it look nice, you can just feed them a little Bokashi brand in the morning or add some labs to your tank and it'll definitely, um, you know, really cut out uh, a lot of the fine solids just floating in the water and, you know, even down in the gravel, like Steve was talking about. So, um, yeah, for sure. So someone says my fish got ick uh, and was sold a fix for at the pet store. They probably sold you copper sulfate. It's probably a blue, a blue looking liquid, uh, I would imagine. Um, uh, that is not really great to use with aquaponic systems. Um, alternatively, though, ick is actually a fluke pathogen. It looks like a little uh, uh, contact lens that can swim if you actually look at it under a microscope. Uh, but what you can do is you can use the fish as a magnet and just salt dip them. So if you take a, a bucket uh, of water or a, a tough tote, whatever, Rubbermaid, and you mix that water up at a, a one pound of salt per five gallons of water and pour that in there and dip your goldfish in there, um, you'll end up with a really good um, uh, uh, way to kill the uh, pathogens on the fish. And ick being an external parasite um, gets killed very easily with the salt water. So um, uh, this uh, basically causes osmosis and they kind of explode like little, uh, uh, or the, the osmotic pressure difference between the fresh and salt water makes them explode like little balloons. It's kind of cool to watch uh, on the bigger ones in salt water, but in, in uh, fresh water, um, just giving them a salt dip for 60 to 90 seconds uh, and then putting them back in the system, uh, letting him be a magnet to collect up all the different flukes that are free forming and free swimming, and then just dipping him the next day again. Uh, can, can, you know, doing that for the course of, you know, five to 10 days can, can kill them off without having to actually treat them at all. Uh, assuming it's easy to catch. If he's not, uh, then, um, you know, you can crank up the temperature, increasing the temperature 10 to 12 degrees, uh, can also increase their lifespan, um, or reduce their lifespan and increase their metabolism to the point where they actually die before they lay eggs uh, and you can kill them off that way as well. Can you over apply the labs in a tank? Um, you absolutely can over apply labs in a tank. Um, you can, uh, uh, not from adding cheese, like the curds and stuff, we, I've never done it, but you certainly can add too much labs and crash the pH because it's very acidic uh, and you can kill the fish that way. But it's mostly, mostly from the pH change. It's not really from the labs being too much population wise as it is the pH shock. I would say you could also cause some nutrient spikes. Like if you've got a huge amount of solids built up in your beds and you um, and you flush with a ton of labs, uh, you can make all of that nitrogen available in a very short amount of time and um, cause a pretty significant spike. So um, if you've got if you've got a really old system or um, you know, one that you know has gotten super clogged with solids, um, then you can you can definitely convert that to uh, uh, plant available nitrogen pretty quickly. 
especially if you're, you know, like it starts crashing the system and starts creating, uh, <coughs> you know, those um, different zones in your, your beds that can start to just uh, digest a lot of that material really quickly. Like if you pour labs into your beds and stuff and just leave them normally and then um, uh, don't run water through them for a little while, then you can kind of tear them apart and, and see like down in the, the hydrogen where some of that stuff is just um, getting completely uh, colonized and wiped out by, um, and, and in some cases will we'll form little chunks um, in different areas that are essentially just fungal growth. Um, but there are, are different scenarios like that that can happen where your, your nitrogen will go way up really fast because you're converting a whole lot of solids or, or ammonia. Um, if you have some locked up in different pockets, maybe your beds aren't uneven, or maybe there was a spot that wasn't training really well. If your plants are really large, if you're doing full-size outdoor plants, um, if you look at my second outdoor aquaponic grow on my YouTube channel, you'll see we took apart one of the um, one of the root zones on that, and it was like, you know, ten feet long, <laughs> and completely the the entire half barrel media bed was just um, so outside of the dual root zone pot. So the dual root zone pot looked like it was about to explode with roots, and then on top of that, the uh, the entire half barrel bed. Um, about two inches below the top of the hydrogen was just completely full of roots, like packed roots, and grew uh, all the way down through through the drain and over the siphon and, and all that. So definitely um, uh, understand that as those plants get larger, you can create areas um, you know where solids can build up. You don't have quite the consistency. When you have larger plants, you're turning over faster. You just have a more stable environment because you don't um, you don't develop those channels as much or different places for things to get stuck. So, if you're growing large plants, if you've got big tomato plants, if you've got you know anything that has substantial root systems or compacted your media beds, and you know you have a ton of solids in there, then I would be uh, I would just be careful and maybe do you know three quarters of a dose. Um, or maybe do one bed at a time or something like that. I wouldn't overdo it um, unless I had other plants in the system that could take up that nitrogen uh, pretty quickly, or maybe I'm not in flower, maybe I'm in veg, something like that. But uh, that would be the only other uh, uh, warning I would have about overdosing labs. You guys have uh, any other questions from the presentation? I uh, appreciate everybody. I tried to get to your questions while we were gone, but if you had any questions about it, um, you know, at this point, let me know. Uh, happy to answer those as well. Uh, also, again, um, uh, check out uh, Marty and I's course over at apmjclass.com. Uh, coupon code APMJ. Uh, I'll get you 50 bucks off the class. Well, we do have a, a course with hundreds of different lectures and slides, uh, handouts, resources, quick guides, um, chemistry dosing tables, all kinds of useful stuff. Uh, if you're going, especially into commercial aquaponic cannabis production, 
um, with a whole bunch of cool different hybrid how to incorporate mushrooms um, uh, and, and all different types of interesting things that uh, uh, we don't really talk about as in depth or have the time to talk about in depth uh, on, on the podcast. So we're looking for kind of a start to finish that's really in depth with a ton of uh, useful handy guides. Definitely check it out over there. What's uh, what's new with your garden, Marty? What do you got going on? I know it's harvest season and everything else up there. Um, so I got, uh, I have a lot of stuff going on. I got a whole shit of new strains because everyone's always uh, doing different stuff. So I got some new strains at Josh. Um, some seeds showed up from him They're over here. Let's see, I don't want to mess up the names. I, he's got some weird names. I'm not sure what's up with uh, Josh's naming scheme here, but we'll go. So I have Dosi Liquor, Celebrity Foul Mouth, and Coke Liquor. So I don't really have any information. I'm going to have to hit Josh up and kind of see uh, what they are, but I'll be uh, getting those going. I've got Snowman uh, on deck. So right now we're prepping to fill up the whole, um, the whole greenhouse at once. So the last of the media beds are done. I'll go through and fill up all of those pots that we're just looking at at the um, there. I have um, I have a bunch of smart software that I'm setting up for like the fans, and I have um, and I'll have a soil humidity sensor. So in, including our instead of just doing the air temperature and humidity, I can get the temperature and the humidity of of the soil and it's just a wireless sensor that connects into my system so i can just carry it around uh, and stick it in whichever door it's on pot i want to check and see what the humidity is on um and i can create uh like logic off of that too so i can say you know if the soil sensor reports less than you know say 35 percent soil humidity uh to kick on the uh, Dorwood zone feed pump, you know, for 10 minutes or something like that. Or I can have a second rule that says, you know, once it hits 80% humidity to turn the pump off. So there are a couple of different things that, um, uh, that I'm working on right now. It's all just, um, based on turning the pumps on and off, but eventually I have some valves that I'll work on as well. Um, so that I can, I can have it just turn different valves on and off. Uh, if I want to. All the beds right now are functioning on their own individual siphons and the pump that I have um, is enough flow to, to run all of them without having to stagger any of the beds. But in a larger system, you know, um, we'll be rotating the, the flow to kick off the siphons if we didn't, if we had more if we needed more water flow to more media beds than what the pump could provide at one time, then we would fill up sections and allow those to, you know, time it so we knew, okay, if we run the pump on these five beds for 10 minutes, all the siphons will kick off and be started by the time we move on to the next block. Um, and uh, all that can be done with, uh, you know, manual timers, but obviously uh, I'm doing mostly smart controlled stuff so I can turn it on and off. I can monitor stuff, uh, pretty much everything from a cell phone or a tablet or my computer sitting here. Um, 
and most of it runs through actually a weather station, which I, you know I've talked about that before, but it's from ambient weather. And I use the temperature and humidity settings or sensors that they have for weather. I just stick them in my grow room um, and they, they work great. They allow me to be able to control and monitor, turn my fans on and off, you know, and use smart plugs. I'm using, I found some uh, smart plugs that will handle um, larger amps and wattage. So they're built to run heaters actually to run like space heaters and stuff like that. So instead of doing one big light controller and running wires to all of my lights, I just ran um, a big 220 circuit and um, controlling each light individually with software. So I can actually turn on, you know, I can turn on greenhouse light one or two or three individually if I want to. They don't just turn on all at once. Um, even though I still group them together and mostly turn them on and off all at once, but uh, it was actually a lot cheaper to buy a controller for each light than it was to buy a big controller and wire it. And the big expense difference was uh, uh, was the wiring itself, uh, like the actual electrical wire. Um, we would have needed a lot more electrical wiring to wire it up to a larger controller. So it actually ended up being cheaper to go with the smart controllers. So. And again, everything, I have Wi-Fi here set up everywhere all over the property and the infrastructure is all there for it. So it makes sense. So hooking that up, hooking up the uh, circulation fans, those are uh, got mounted today. One of them showed up bent, the drive shaft was bent. So when we hooked it up and mounted it, it was shaking the entire greenhouse. So we're gonna pull that one down and have to send it back. But from what I understand that happens a fair amount with industrial fans. So I'm not too worried about it. Um, then we'll, we're going to be putting up the light trap and the light depth equipment. Um, so that'll be the, the arms, uh, the motors and the controller uh, to be able to um, open and close the blackout cover. So all that stuff just got, uh, just got ordered. So it's shipping right now, which is kind of a nightmare. Um, at the moment, if you guys aren't aware, there's a number of different uh, shipping problems that have definitely slowed down our production here for, for certain stuff, especially if you're, you know, if you're ordering anything from overseas or anything that is sourced from overseas. So, you know, I hate to tell you, but pretty much <laughs> all, all LED diodes are not made in America. Like we can assemble them. <laughs> We can, we can buy them from over there and we can put lights together over here and we can assemble them here much like we do cars, but there's a whole lot of stuff that comes from overseas that isn't getting through right now. And uh, it has been problematic. Um, but besides that, I would say, um, yeah, just kind of move, trying to move forward on everything. The bedroom is probably getting the next overhaul um, I went through and kind of pulled all a bunch of the moms out to replace them and putting those back in and going to build another system for clones. Um, so yeah, that's kind of been, uh, been the focus. The indoor is in veg right now, so it'll probably get kicked in the flower and another, I would say probably like two, two, two and a half weeks, something like that. So, um, and I actually, it's going to be kind of a uh, interesting grow because I think I have uh, 12 
12 plants and 10 different strains. So um, <laughs> normally I try to stick to like two or three. Sometimes I even do four, but uh, this will be kind of like a, a, a big test run of a bunch of different stuff. So it'll be interesting to see a number of different flavors kind of growing side by side. And then I'll still have my, uh, my staple strains that I've grown each time, which are uh, Sunset Sherbert <coughs> and um, Snowman. I've kind of been my consistent ones that I try to keep going for some of my side-by-side -side stuff. So, uh, so yeah, hooking up a bunch of smart devices, you know, finishing the greenhouse. I'll have water temperature sensors coming in as well. That's one of the things that's delayed in shipping right now that um, hasn't been able to come in yet. But so I ha I'll have air temperature and humidity. I'll have soil. I have soil uh, temperature and humidity. And then I'll also be able to um, get real-time temperature readings on the um, water temperature for each of the uh, fish tanks. So, and those aren't too bad. I think those, they, they make a number of different ones actually for like hot tubs and pools and different stuff like that that you can use. So if you just want to monitor your water temperature, there's some pretty cool little smart ones. Most of them run off of Bluetooth though instead of Wi-Fi, so you kind of have to be close to them in order to see it. I kind of prefer the ones that have their own Wi-Fi connections so that I can I can use them remotely. So well, even if I'm, you know, in, in town or picking up the kids from school or something like that, I get a weird notification that the grow room is at 100 degrees or something like that. I can, you know, turn off the lights without, you know, without even having to be here because they're connected to the Wi-Fi and I don't have to be within Bluetooth range to control them. So that's been, uh, that's been my fun stuff lately. What about you? Um, we picked up a 55 gallon aquarium from Craig's, well, from Facebook or Craigslist or something. I don't remember which one. Um, so uh, I just finally got the overflow boxes in for that. So at some point in the next uh, couple of weeks, I'll, when I have time, because I'm very busy right now, I'm going to be plumbing that up and starting to build out my own aquaponic room here for my home grow. So that'll be fun. And so I'll have some cool content on that, on you know, adapting existing aquarium stuff. Uh, I know a lot of people are, are looking for info on that. So we'll have that up. Uh, some of it on the, on the YouTube and then some of it in the class. So, well, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we do have some other plans for that as well. So it'd be fun. Uh, and then we'll be using uh, nutrients from apmjnutes.com for, for that run as well. Um, so you guys can kind of see what those look like firsthand. Um, there's another thing in chat. Someone says they've been feeding Scooby from their um, kombucha. Um, you can absolutely can feed Scooby to your fish. Um, just remember that kombucha is very high in sodium. So, um, you know, a little bit of Scooby to your fish is fine, but I, I wouldn't go pouring the rest of it in there uh, on a regular basis the way that you would labs. So here's a funny story about, it, about a Scooby. Uh, one time I went through and cleaned out my outdoor aquaponic system and I put a bunch of Bokashi brand instead of just labs into my media beds. Um, and because the Bokashi brand also contained yeast, um, I came out, uh, uh, I want to say it was the next day. I think it was pretty quick. It was either the next day or the day after. And I had a huge Scooby. I took a picture of it. Actually, I think I sent it to Steve and was like, what the fuck is this? Because I never made like kombucha or anything before. But um, 
anyway, so yeah, because of the added yeast, in addition to uh, the microbes and the uh, uh, stuff that was added in the bed, because uh, it's the EM1 Bokashi brand, which I think also has a little bit of brown sugar. So whatever it was, it happened to be like just the exact right water temperature or whatever it was, but made a nice little hamburger sized bun look like about, you know, the size of a, a Big Mac bun and in the picture, not when you order one, and like actually get it, but you know, the size of a, the Big Mac bun um, floating around in there. So that was kind of funny. You're muted. Uh, yeah, other than that, just been working on planning. I uh, did another round of emails with the with the speakers and stuff, getting everything organized for the virtual aquaponic cannabis conference. Uh, making sure everyone has all the stuff they need to connect, make sure everybody knows what time they're on, making sure everyone knows what time that they're on in their time zone. Because um, some of these people are joining us from, you know, South Africa and Vietnam and stuff. So trying to make sure we have all that. Um, also, we have, um, uh, we talked a little bit earlier, some cool guest moderators. Uh, heavy Days from the podcast, Scotty Real and Jordan River will all be uh, guest moderators for our panels. So that'll be a lot of fun. So you won't have to hear questions from me about aquaponics. To hear uh, questions from some people that uh, maybe to have some different perspectives uh, on aquaponics. So I think you guys will like that. Uh, other than that, um, working on getting the new extract lab up and running and working on just some other stuff right now, some, some different plant projects that I, I can't talk about too much right now um, currently. But other than that, just been busy, busy, busy. Had the Aquaponics Association Conference, BizCon, a bunch of other stuff, and the lab all kind of coming together at the same time it was a, a bit much last week, but um, things are slowly getting less complicated as the year goes into closer to Christmas. <laughs> are you guys running into shipping problems trying to get your lab set up? A little bit, but mostly just uh, running into some minor like m stuff that wasn't quite manufactured right, having to like go get a different one of the same part or shit like that. Some stupid, silly shit. That... Right. So I think well, we might actually uh, get up and running uh, around the first week of November, hopefully all said and done. But we'll see. It takes time. Are you are you making like any of your drinks or any anything right now or is that all pretty much? No, right? we've been down since we we moved after the right. incident in the other spot. So we've uh, been resetting up and then having to we decided made some decisions as far as packaging and some other stuff moving forward. It's going to make more sense longer term. So buying some different equipment, some other stuff, but you know, just took a little time to get everything together again. So. But yeah, and then also, uh, I guess Jordan Rivers coming down in January. We'll be doing some kind of a live event out here in OKC. So check that out as well. So. Oh, yeah, and I just finished the last batch of videos for all the nutrient videos are up on the class now. So that was like some of the longer ones like pH and nitrogen and um, different stuff like that are all free. So I'm pretty sure <clears throat> all or like 95% of our nutrient videos are up there. And that's each of the ones that we 
showed you on that chart before, we kind of go through uh, all of the important ones. Um, we talk about dosing them, proper levels, testing uh, on each one of them. So all yeah. that is pretty much up and posted. No, we always are adding new stuff. So there's a lot of different topics where we've had a lot of stuff up there and then we add a lot of new content. We've been doing a lot of work with more testing of PPMs and different plant inputs and stuff like that as well. So trying to add that to the class and some more higher level stuff that's not really anywhere else out there in the world. So um, definitely check it out again at apmjclass.com if you're looking for a good course on that. All right, um, Marty, do you want to tell everybody how to find you and whatever... Uh, uh, on different platforms and social medias and things. Sorry, I lost my mute button for a second. <laughs> um, oh, good. Yeah, I was just going to go through and say, you know, this is the so this is the link on the actual class um, page, and then you can see if you scroll down here, here's you can't uh, do any of these unless you are signed up for it. But um, this is just uh, a taste of what's up there kind of see all the different topics and yeah, that's to that. that's not even all of them that's just the ones that we have available for right for now we have a, a, a almost double that right now on the back end that we're finishing up uh a content for and more so definitely check it out and tons of live sessions lots of questions on that uh as far as helping uh with different you know gardens that people students have showing us their gardens asking us questions on that so definitely check it out Yeah, and you can find me, um, you know, AP Meds on Instagram, uh, on YouTube, uh, in the Aquaponic Cannabis Growers group on Facebook or Meta, whatever the fuck it's called now. Um, and uh, we also have a Discord, uh, which has been more active lately, which is kind of cool to see. Um, you know, obviously, the Teachable platform that we were just looking at uh, also has ways to interact. So if you want to stay in touch, you can, even without uh, purchasing the class, you can be a member of our school so you can see when new content does come out or new classes are offered or it allows us to email you um, when we do like sales or <clears throat> different stuff like that. So uh, you can definitely sign up there. Uh, if you guys have any questions about that, you can definitely contact us directly. Um, yeah, that's about it. Looking forward to the conference. I'll see you guys yeah, there. Me too. Super, super stoked. Uh, I guess I'll throw that back up on the screen one last time. Uh, um, you can uh, check out the second annual virtual aquaponic cannabis conference, November 13th and 14th, right here on the Potent Ponics YouTube channel, uh, available on any platform YouTube is available. So if you want to watch it on your phone, your TV, uh, your fridge, if you have one of those smart fridges, uh, if you got like a tablet next to your toilet, you can watch it on there. Um, wherever it is that you watch your, your, your YouTube. Um, so check it out. Awesome list of speakers from around the world for uh, 28 hours because I'm a masochist uh, in one weekend. You can find me on the Potent Ponic SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, all the things. Um, and uh, check out my latest article over in Lampoon Magazine out of Italy. Uh, super stoked to be on there magazine and um yeah appreciate everybody uh we will see you guys again next week just two more episodes before the conference <laughs>